Welcome to the Axis Effect podcast, where you'll hear the most compelling, provocative, and real conversations with industry leaders and innovators in tech, sports, and entertainment with our host and CEO of well-known PR firm, Axis Entertainment, Sarah Miller. Hi, this is Sarah Miller, your host of the Axis Effect, and I'm super excited to be with the dear friend, Jeffrey Hazlett, CEO and Chairman of C-Suite Networks, CC Broadcast, C-Suite TV, author, all around the most interesting man in the world. What's going on, Jeff? Hey, I'm just busy being in the C-Suite, right? That's about it. But no, you know, we're just excited because, you know, post-COVID, which we're talking about right now, I mean, things have really started taking off. Even though people are talking about this R word, you know, we're not supposed to talk about the R word, recession. But, you know, a lot of us are know that we're going to be coming up to it, going to be hitting it. But regardless, it doesn't make a difference. Stuff's on fire. If you really work it, stuff's on fire. I thought we were already in this recession, this R word, because this is what I love talking to you about and everything. I And I know we just killed a lot of time talking offline. I did want to talk to you about leadership and like this R word. And I was going to bring it up to you once we got on the show. My opinion, if you look historically, we're just jumping in here on conversations. Most companies that get through the recessions are companies that know how to lead. They continue to do marketing and PR. They scale it down. They sustainable. They figure it out. But companies that sustain and survive through down economies, a pandemic even, because they continue their marketing, their PR, their strategy, their leadership. People who just shut down completely and get frozen are the ones that won't make it. And I'm not saying being in PR firm that you need to increase your budgets, but if you don't keep that consistent leadership on some level, that to me is the most sustainable thing of being a good leader. Yeah. And you, by the way, it doesn't make a difference. During- you know, the key thing is never catch a thrown knife. All right. That was Art Laffer from Reaganomics. I interviewed him for my TV show where I talked about the recession and what you need to do. And I talked to some five or six great, great, I mean, unbelievable economists like John Silver from former one uh, from Wells Fargo, Daniel Mar- Martino Booth. She used to be with the Fed, Mary Kelly, former commander of the United States Navy, Mark Skosin, who's you know, leads the Freedom Fest. And he's the great, 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 great grandson of Benjamin Franklin, you know, Art Laffer, and then even a futurist. And, you know, they, you know, I think the biggest piece of advice I got was by Art Laffer, you know, father of Reaganomics, who said, never catch a thrown knife. And when it comes to recession, yeah, you have to avoid it. Don't stand there and wait for it to be thrown because your job is to be the most smartest person in the room is to be the most strategic. And if you're going to be strategic, you got to think about what you got to do, adapt, change or die. And you have to be relentless at it. And that's really what it's about. And there, you know, history teaches there's been some great companies that were founded during depressions, recessions, and there were a lot of prosperous companies even back in 2008. There were winners and there were losers. You just got to be in the winning category and you got to figure out the growth categories and you got to figure out the ways to do it. And there were a lot of recessions and uh, unicorns born in recessions way back to 1975, you know, like Microsoft or iRobot 1990, Airbnb in 2008. Who would have thought, you know, here it is almost 20 years later that you would let someone sit in your house, sit naked on your couch and they would pay you money for it. Seriously. Right. Yeah. I mean, you think about that. Well, OK, look at that. I mean, look at pandemic. I mean, Zoom just blew up, got on fire. Amazon. I mean, there's so much out there. And I love the um, adapt or die. I'm always just like, you know, I always say, you know, the grass is always greener because I, you know, and you know, my last agency, you know, Neil, maybe before I started my own, New Donovan, 
and I've had the agency for 16 years and I'm always people like, oh, this is so great. You have your own agency. Look at your life. You're, you know, you're at these big events. You're doing all this great high profile stuff. And I go, the grass isn't greener. It's just a different shade of green. I made a decision which side is best suited for me to lead. I don't think the grass is greener. It's just a different shade. So like an Audi commercial, there's leaders and those followers. And there's nothing bad about being a good follower and a good team person. A good leader makes a good team player. But I think being leadership, it's not, being a CEO is not a given title. It is earned. It is a grind. It's just a different shade. Not easy. Who yeah. you, are, not you know, easy. and and this is what I love about you because you're not just leading. You're always, you're, you're encouraging, you're motivating other leaders. And we make easy decisions all day long. Anybody can make an easy decision. That, that's not a CEO. Making the hard decisions with the class and grace where it doesn't do collateral damage to other people on the team and the environment around you. That makes a good leader. How you fall and stumble and be willing to and pick yourself back up gracefully, learn and get stronger. That's leadership. Not sitting behind a desk a courtside at a Clippers game and making easy decisions. And this is like what the conversations I'm constantly having when I'm doing panels or, you know, at an event. It's like it's leadership is an earned thing or you're born to be a great leader. You just got that drive, that tenacity, that strategic mindset. And I feel like if we scale off the sea level on the big companies that I know you run with on a higher level to the mid to startups, being that CEO leadership is not an easy role. And those three letters is not easy to say you've earned it. No, it's hard. I mean, it's not, it's hard. It's hard to be a leader. It's hard to be uh, good at what you do. It's hard to be an entrepreneur. It's not, you know, it's hard to to be the CEO. It's hard to be the CFO. It's hard to do all these jobs. I mean, if it were easy, everybody would do it. You know, and not everybody can do these things. And and it's interesting that a lot of people will, you know, toss uh, grenades at you from the sidelines. But, you know, unless you've been in those seats at those moments, you, you don't know what you're going to do. Uh, and, you know, I remember back in 2007, 2008, you know, 2007, when we kind of knew that there was a little bit of the recession was coming or the, you know, the economic crisis that we faced in 2008. So in, the, in that fourth quarter, we knew it was hitting. And, you know, my, I remember my CFO walking in, he was ashen and I thought, oh my God, he's having a heart attack. I said, Frank, what's the matter with you? And he goes, he goes, it's going to be bad. I go, what are you talking about? Well, you know, we, we were able at Kodak to see some of that stuff because like one of the indicators was silver, you know, precious metals. And, and so we're a big buyer of that. And when we buy silver, I mean, we, we can move the market and he, I remember he came back from, you know, some meeting where he was doing that and then this and this and this and all this stuff happened. He's a really smart guy. And he said, we're in for some big trouble. And that was like October, November. And by December, we had a plan put in place to lay off like 8,500 people. Now, who likes to lay off 8,500 people? Nobody, nobody, nobody wakes up and says, I can't wait to do this. But these are the things you have to do in order to, to survive, to get you know, you're charted with the fiduciary responsibility of taking care of the company. And sometimes that means some really, really hard choices and and um, and some brutal kinds of moves. And you know, we have been through that before. Don't like it. Can't stand it. You know, COVID sucked. You know, I, I don't ever want to go through that again. I'm never going to go through it like we did. I can guarantee you that I'll change things in hindsight of way we did things. 
you know, in South Dakota, where I live, you know, we weren't locked down. We were locked down, but not locked down like the rest of them. I mean, we would, you know, listen, thanks. I mean, we've been practicing physical distancing since 1889. Yeah. So, you know, it's not, it wasn't a big deal for us, that, that part for us. But, you know, I never worked so hard for so little, right? We all had to pivot, change, do things. And I, I just think there's there's going to be different ways and the hard decisions, you know, hard decisions. And I didn't didn't lay anybody off, kept people I shouldn't have kept. I mean, there's no doubt about it. I, I'll be glad I'll say. And some of those people knew I kept them and, you know, we kept them employed. It wasn't easy. Like I said, it wasn't easy. I don't think it was easy for anybody. And I hate when people started thinking about it because it was not, there was nobody from, I don't care what government people were bashing on, how they handled their state wrong. It was a hard decision. Like, and I think we all went through that. We all struggled. We saw clients disappear. I mean, I had to lay staff off. I had to fire a client because it's either fire us, which I hated, let us go, not fire us. Or don't survive and cut off the main people of your team. And, you know, I don't want to make the decision because you need the leadership, but you also need to keep one or two critical people to keep going. And like, it was not an easy decision. I think we all made bad decisions. And I feel like some of these decisions we made, it was very hard for us. And people didn't understand how hard it was because I am very good friends with my employees. I love my staff. I was trying to find ways to keep them. And then when I couldn't, I had to cut some, but then I had to hire some people who I knew were good. They weren't the best at what I needed, but they were struggling because they got cut. So I brought them on. We all struggled. And I think I feel like you know, I probably worked for free for most of it because it was so hard to keep things going. But like for me, like these situations, these decisions we make, like, and I know as a CEO, you're going to appreciate this. We all make decisions. And I had a client once told me, sometimes I started my agency, sometimes you just got to wear the fuck you at and do what's best for you and your company versus a client or a staff. And I hate that, but I get why we have to make those decisions. But my big thing is if I make a decision and regardless, and you're an employee and it affects you, it affects your job, it affects losing a client, but it's what's best for our survival. I, as a CEO, feel like There is no ego here. You don't run your company by your ego. I've got to make sure if I make a decision that you perceive as an asshole move, I owe you the respect to sit down to make sure you weren't collateral damage to explain how valuable you were, how much you attributed to the company, how much I respected you. My decision may have affected you poorly, but you deserve to know why I made the decision. So you just don't walk off feeling unappreciative and unvalued. And that's what I hated during the pandemic. And I know it was people were in survival mode, save myself, but I always felt you take the time to make sure people around you. I think it's always always important to have transparency, right? So if if one, state your values of of how you're going to operate and the way that you want to represent and show up every day. So if you have those values and at least in your team knows them, although 53% 53% of the most companies, people in companies today can't even tell you the values of the company. That's a problem. But where those companies do espouse their values and live their values, then you know. Then then be transparent in the conversations, but also, you know, you should have had some level of conversations around what are our mutual conditions of satisfaction, right? These are the things we're going to do and how we're going to operate together. And I think that's that's important to have, and, and not a lot of people actually do. 
Yeah. I mean, I know, and I know the pandemic was hard, but I feel like this recession, when, I mean, I feel like we're kind of in it. I mean, I, you know, it's all over the board, but I feel like if we could get through this pandemic and a lot of people did get through, and that was like you said, that's when they got creative, when they went to the R&D, they took the time to stand back, breathe, get a different perspective, and they came out company-wise able to go. I feel like if they took the mistakes and lessons learned, like you said, you wouldn't do it the same way. And if we are into this big recession, it's kind of like we're on two-year lockdown. Uh, so from LA, yeah, you were in where you were, you didn't really, you guys had ranch space. In California, we were shut down, locked down for a good solid two years. I mean, it was messy and there's still a lot of post-pandemic yeah. craziness. But I feel like if we, and that's one thing we talk about a lot on the show is I don't believe in failures. I believe in find the successes in the failures, do it better, have the opportunity to start over, be better, be more transparent, and you'll come out ahead. And I feel like that applies to what you're talking about. Take the success and the failures. We learn from what we wouldn't do the same way. We're going to hit that same downturn again. I mean, without yeah. the being sick and the COVID, but we'll still hit a similar for a year or so. It's not a failure. Let We'll get through it even better because we just lived it and we've got to understand what were our failures and what are the successes that came out of that to be better, to get through this recession better than we thought. And I feel like there's such a huge learning point in that comment that people have got to understand recessions sucks, but you just got through a pandemic. Take what you learned. So this doesn't feel like a recession, if that's possible. Yeah, without question. But I also don't think next time around we'll allow the kinds of actions that occur. And I'm not trying to be some right extremist or anything way, shape or form. I'm just saying last I heard that this country had a great number of freedoms and we can choose to live our life the way we want. And I just don't think people will allow people to trample on those freedoms without having a, a bigger say pandemic or no pandemic. Yeah. And, you know, the damage that was done to this economy and to the world's economy, you know, we're still having a tough time catching up to that. And I just, you know, again, I don't think that's ever going to occur like that again. You know, we shall remember. We shall remember. <laughs> yeah, we will get stronger. Okay, let's talk about failures. What were two, like, what are one or two of your biggest failures, honestly, from the past, from the pandemic that you found success in that? you are applying moving forward towards this next recession this year or next? Uh, well, I, I don't know. I haven't done them yet. You know, you don't know what I mean with Perfect. the biggest, right? No, what I mean by that is that no matter what, you know, no matter what failures you have, there'll always be some bigger ones. I, I just yeah. think that's the case, you know, so, so, so what's your biggest failure? I don't know. I haven't done it yet. What's your but biggest the, point of what, what will you change differently? Well, I think, yeah, yeah. I, you know, I think a lot of us allowed certain things to happen to us, right? You know, we just kind of took it and nah, I'm not taking it. Now, I did say right off the bat, you know, and when March 13th happened in 2020, you know, the day they shut Walt Disney World down, you know, when they shoot shut down Walt Disney World. Oh, yeah, World, then it's over. Yeah. It just got real. Right. And so that's what was the trigger. And I went like, whoa, by So by Monday, you know, I was writing a New York Times op ed piece and you know, and saying this is, you know, everybody don't don't put your head in the sand. And, you know, this isn't about survive. Everybody's talking about survival. I said, this isn't about survival. It's about drive and thrive. It's about, you know, how do you get, you know, never waste a good crisis, kind of like I'm talking about the recession right yeah. now. 
is don't waste a good crisis because even in the worst times, I mean, there were some businesses that thrived, you know, during there's a lot of business shut down, 150,000 businesses in the United States shut down. That's 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 unheard of. I just you know, don't do it. We spent 14 trillion dollars in support, you know, governmental support of to bail out companies, you know, and basically, you know, some got that some didn't. Our company didn't get the you know some of those benefits because of uh, various reasons. But, you know, that's one of the things. So I guess that's one I would I would have done. The other thing is I would have, I don't know, taken greater action with my team sometimes, you know, I was so busy with, you know, my own issues and my own things, getting this stuff done that I didn't always reach out to the team, say, hey, how you doing? There were some people had some real tough times mentally, and I probably would do a better job of that. You know, that's that's part of it. I think people are still having a tough time. You think about it. We're in 2023. We didn't really come off this whole pandemic, at least East and West Coast, where it got really hit hard until 2022, where everything was wide open again, events, everything. So we're still kind of hedging you know the last quarter of 2021 on this and yeah i don't don't even think until this year i don't even think until the summer of 2023 we actually started freeing up i mean i think it took us this long to people to get into the rhythm i really do i don't i don't think we're out of that rhythm yet like i don't think i think there's so many people yeah i agree with you it took us till 2023 to get back to not being so afraid but there's so many people that are still leaving their jobs. They can't find jobs. I know like Schwab from these bigger companies, $80,000 layoff people are just now realizing, okay, we finally got our bearings. Like you said, summer 2023. Now the big layoffs are coming again because this is our new reality. We just are in a culture shock of we're not going to the office. We're staying remote. The world's a different place. And I feel like there are still a lot of people mentally struggling because they stuck it out. They stayed, kept their job. They left. They're not still sure which way to go because of the new rules of staying remote or not. And I feel like that's one of the things that I always felt, regardless, reach out to people. The mental side of it, I get, was tough during people struggled. I still feel there's still struggle out there. They're not quite there because I always feel like I haven't talked to people or executives. They just decided to leave a huge high-powered job for whatever reasons they're ahead, they just don't want to do it anymore. And I still feel like we're so focused on getting back to work, getting back to our lives again, but there's so much struggle still of people, the postpartum depression from the pandemic. And I think we forget when we get so busy with all our own shit to reach out to people in the past or people who left for whatever reasons or friends that we haven't heard from. We assume, oh, they're doing great. They moved on. We see a post here and there, but I think we don't reach out for that actual communication with people as much as we should. I don't think we're quite past the finish line on making sure people mentally are okay from what we've been. When I think people are are very sensitive to that, just not on just that piece of it, but on any tragedy or issue that's up. I mean, right now, the unprecedented nature of anti-Semitism right now that's going on in the country. You know, you know, you if you got a Jewish friend, reach out, reach out, let them know you're there, you know, and people aren't doing it the way I think we should. I think people are expecting it, too. I think if you like it, no different than Black Lives Matter, you know, or, or during that time. I, I don't know whether you support Black Lives Matter or not, but that or, you know, but, you know, when we know that without question, there's a great deal 
of racism that still occurs in this country. What what can you do? How can you do it? What 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 are the things that you can actively you know, do to change that or reach out in support of any population that's going through some tough times. I think that there, there's more of that going on than ever before. It needs to be going on more than ever before. And I think part of that was, I think that it was opened up by the pandemic. I think the pandemic opened that up where it's 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 easier to talk about it, right? You know, because yeah. as we were going through that, the whole George Ford thing was going on and it was like all this stuff was mess and it was all this mess of all this stuff. And we're still seeing some of it, I think, uh, that's out there. And we had you on the show during that because we had a discussion, you, myself and Marjorie, about Black Lives Matter. One of the best things you said that I agreed with is if I say something wrong because I don't know, correct me because because I do support like I I don't support this anti-Semitism, this racial bullshit. But if I am not, you know, obviously I'm not, you know, a black man and living in white America or anything. So educate me, tell me, because if I say something that I made from the bottom of my heart, that has nothing to do with racism. I think I'm supporting you, but it may not be the right thing to say. Help yeah, but it should be on anything. I mean, like, you know, like I'm, I'm an old white guy now. So it's like, I might say something that offends young, young people. Okay. Well then tell me, I, yeah. I, I don't wake up in the morning and hope I'm stupid, right? And, and by the way, we have to have some tolerism for that. That you know, so I always ask for permission to be wrong, you know, because I'm going to be wrong. I'm going to yeah. make some stupid mistakes. I'm going to listen. I'm just I'm not the brightest guy in the world. I wish I were, but I'm not. I'm, I'm maybe one of the most strategic people in the world, but I'm not the brightest. Nor nor is most of the C-suite, by the way. And the key is help me be a better person and just and give me the leeway that I you know that give me the grace. Grant me the grace that I, I'm going to be stupid. I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to screw it up. And, you know, uh, you know, I think most people, we, I think we've, we we're less tolerant about that. And I just think we have to give everybody a little, give everybody a little break about it. You know, settle down, settle down. You know, your, your neighbor didn't mean to, you know, he didn't want your dog to come over and poop in your yard. It, that, that happened, you know, but, but have a discussion, have an open discussion yeah, and I think and I think that's the thing. It's like we're not perfect. So, but I think, like you said, it was easier to have these conversations during the pandemic. But it should be having hard conversations is not easy. But we should be having them more and more. Yeah, it's like people say, "Well, I don't see color." I, I would like. I always use this example. What do you mean you don't see color? I don't know if you notice. You're black. You're 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 a black man. You're an Asian woman. You're you're a lesbian. You're gay. I happen to know these things, or, I, or I've learned them. I, I let's don't ignore that. Let's yeah. celebrate. Let's talk about it. Let's have a discussion about it. And 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 people say, well, I, I put this filter and I don't see it. Well, no, that's part of who you are, for goodness yeah. sakes. And so I want to know that what, what makes you different, unique than everybody else, but makes you we're all humans, so hopefully. And, uh, you know, it makes us the same. There are some things that are the same, but there's obviously just differences. There are differences. That's the way they are. So but, you know, that shouldn't make us fight each other. Or, you know, it yeah. should make us celebrate those things that are unique for each each one of us. Yeah, so we I kind of put the whole entire CEO role up behind me when um, all this stuff started happening in Israel a few weeks ago because we had well, yeah, yeah. we had one or two big CEOs. We were pitching big companies. We were pitching pivoting on a global expansion, and we were in the middle of processing. You know, we were chatting. We had proposals in when the top agencies. We reached out to them, and I did made a decision. We're not reaching out to you even a week, week and a half later to say. Hey, what's going on? You want to follow up on our pitch on your PR? We reached out and Mike was very clear. 
you're in Israel, you have families, you're moving here. Regardless, the business, if you need anything, we're calling to check in on you. If you need help, let us know. If I have to make an introduction or do anything that they do with RHC paying us, we were reaching out to make sure they were okay and how they needed support outside of that. And we had, and I feel like that was the right thing to do. I mean, there was no, for me, there was no other way to do it. And I kind of saw some stuff going on out there and I'm like, God, these people, like we, everybody suffers at one point or the other. And so we kind of put, we actually, one of them, we didn't, we didn't proceed to pursue after that because we knew what they were going through. So and it wasn't about not having the opportunity. We wanted to make sure they understood being here in the U.S. They were halfway there, halfway stuck here with their teams, everything. We just needed to know if they needed support, no matter what call we had to make for them. And I just feel like, you know, the whole thing of conversations is about leadership. And like, like my big thing is everybody has an opinion, right, wrong, or indifferent. You are, your perception is your reality that you are influenced by the media, what you grew up with, what you hear, listen to, talk about, talk to, read. I think opinions are good. We all learn that, hey, I may not agree with you, but I have a different found respect or perception on what we're talking about, whether it's gun control, whether it's racism, whatever it is, women in business, because your perspective on it and your opinion woke me up to realize, yeah, I get why you're saying that. What I can't stand and especially people who think because they have a C-level role, you could have an opinion, but don't have an opinion, have it without judgment. Don't have an opinion, then judge somebody. Well, that's my opinion. It's not the same thing. I want an opinion because I love the conversation, but I want it without judgment. And that to me is a hard thing to find with a lot of people. I would agree with that. You know, some people, yeah. The, uh, and, and by the way, and I have the right to my opinion. So, yeah. you know, it, and it might disagree with you. I mean, you know, I, I host an event for our C-suite network every Sunday. It's called Scott Sunday. And it's just my chance to get together with people that want to just have good conversation, just like I'm sitting in a bar on a Sunday night watching the game. I sit with a bunch of people and we throw out a topic. And usually it's the topic of the day that might be there. And and they get pretty heated. But, you know, I tell everybody that walks into that room, and it's online, by the way, and uh, is that my job isn't to change your you know, change your mind, change your opinion. It's just to understand you. So, you know, you might, you might be to the right of Attila the Hun. You might be to the left of the, you know, of a, of a socialist. I, I, and I really don't care. That's your opinion. That's your belief, your value system, whatever. I'm not going to change you. I just want to know where you're coming from, you know? And I think that's important. And we've kind of lost the art of that. And I think it's important for us to have that, you know, in our room, we, man, we, knock down drag out discussions about Trump or Biden or, you know, left, right, uh, blue, yellow, green, it don't make a difference, whatever it is, every topic we're not supposed to talk about, but that's what you do when you're sitting in a bar is yeah. you talk about all the subjects you shouldn't talk about. And everybody that's, that's the, the eclectic population that makes up that room, you know, has a right to say whatever they want as long as they're not offending others, you know, trampling on other people's rights. Now, so some of what you might say might offend people, but your intent is not to offend. Your intent is just to be understood. And as long as you, you know, go forward with it, with that, I think that's a good thing. And I usually stop before everybody starts throwing punches or throwing scotch bottles. And the bouncer, the bouncer, the room. No, I'm all about, you know, listen. I'm big enough enough to be the bouncer too. You'd be a good bouncer. I'm always like, listen with the intent to understand, not to reply. 
Yeah. And everything. But so, and I know we're around. Oh, that's good. I like, I, I like that. That's a good statement. You, I've never, I don't think I've ever heard that. I don't think I've ever always, heard that. I say, I remember in PR, so I always tell people, perception is reality. Understand that what they perceive, what they're reading and seeing may not be what yours. Don't ever judge. Opinion without judgment. And then listen with the intent to understand, not to respond. I have to drill that. Yeah, by the way, people will listen however they have. I mean, I, one time, you know, I was kind of a, not a spokesperson for Toomey, but I did some things for Toomey. And I said that they're a great brand. And I got them to give me some luggage. And at this national event, I gave it away. And I said, it's a great thing. I said, you know, and I said something. That what I like about Toomey, if it breaks, they'll fix it. And the guy said, I came up afterwards and said, you lied on stage. I said, what are you talking about? He said, well, you said they would fix it for free. And I said, no, I didn't. And he said, yes, you did. I said, no, I said they would fix it. I didn't tell you it was for free. That's your assumption. And I said, you're wrong. So that's what I said. And he kept arguing with me. But I said, dude, just go away. I know what I said. And, you know, I, I said, I appreciate how you feel about what you think I said, but I didn't say it. So I really don't have time to listen to you anymore. And it's like he was offended, you know, that, that you know, by that whole thing. I said, plus, I I know what I said, you know. Like, go buy stamps uh, tonight, then. You know, it is what it is. Yeah, 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 exactly. Go buy, go buy, go no. buy Briggs and Riley, go buy Hartman, go <laughs> buy you know, whatever you like to buy. But, you know, I, I tend to like Toomey. But yeah, no, it's just, you know, I didn't think it is because, I mean, I try to avoid landmines as much as possible. We try to keep our clients out of it. We always have a plan B, but I think like you said, being on stage, being in a leadership role, you're going to take grenades. When we've launched so many produce awards, events, uh, fashion events, I mean, being high profile is great, but I am constantly having a shield of armor. We're always taking hits. It's just how you respond to these hits, I feel, gives you the class and grace to be proud of that leadership. And I mean, I know we're running out of time, but let me ask you a question. What are your top three? I mean, for everybody, because you know, my podcast, we're in our 10th season, by the way, and we're hitting, oh, our that's awesome. we're hitting our 200th episode. And I am going to say this out loud. So we're almost, you know, we're on so many different platforms and our numbers are staggering high from where I started. Thanks to you. I'm going to say thank you to you because I know I know to give credit where it's due. And we are on C-Suite's platform, our podcast. And yep. I see that. C-Suite Radio. C-Suite Radio. C-Suite, because I said no. I love you and adore you, respect you, but I'm good. I got to do this on my own. And then I ended up coming back to you and you reeled me back in. And I was just like so in awe of you from the day we met. And I love that we've been on your podcast for, I think, seven or eight six or seven of the 10 seasons um, or almost our, our episode. And like every conversation has been amazing. I just love to give you the credit because we are within the C-suite on because of you is how my podcast, my podcast, I started getting that leadership kind of, I bled into the, what are you doing? How are you doing into leadership, leadership, to where we are now, it's all about leadership. And I do have to give you a lot of credit because every time I talk to you, it's always so inspiring and your leadership is just so profound. And you've done so much um, in your career. What, and I'm going to ask for everybody, what is your best advice on like your top three things that you look for or that somebody needs to kind of keep in their eyesight on if you want to grow, you want to be a leader, what are the criteria or the qualifications in your mind? That makes a good yeah. lead. Well, number one, you got to listen. You have to really listen. You know, the best leaders that I've always found are really good listeners. They can listen to what it is and just zero in on it right away. And, uh, you know, it's, it's almost like, you know, 
you not just listen, but they they read, they know they got it. They, they you know, it's like you open that, they open up the PowerPoint, they go right to page 14, the one week area you have, and they drill down in on it. You know, it's like that. And it's because they listen and pay attention. I think that's it. The second thing is focus, right? You got to be focused in on, you know, the problem that you're solving and what is it is you're doing rather than live the story go out and continue to build the story based upon, you know, that focus of what you're trying to deliver, the problem you're trying to solve. And then last but not least, I think it's in, it's important for you to be just in, in completely transparent, you know, based on your values. And so you have to have those that core set of values and then live to them every single day and then be transparent about it so that everybody knows what you're doing and where you're going. I think those are the three most important things that you could do. May I add to you to our list? Sure. Okay. So my fourth one to your list, because yours are spot on, never lead by your ego. Never a good way to yeah, never lead tough by to do. ego. That's sometimes tough to do. But it yeah, is, I agree. Yeah. But it's very hard. The last one is always understand I am as smart as the smartest person in the room. And I've you know, from Bill Gates to Larry Ellison to Steve Jobs, they've all admitted in their books they've read, they aren't the reason their companies are the way they are. It's the team around them. Ellison used to say, we were the CMO council. I had all these guys, you know, involved then. I'm not the smartest guy in the room. I am who I am because I had a team of smart people around me who knew what I didn't know to get me the empire I'm leading today. Gates said that all of our greatest tech founders of tech, my founding four. Again, getting back, you know, the job of a C-suite leader is to not be the smartest person in the room because they're not. Because I've, you know, I've been in those rooms. They are not. We are not. And I've been one of the elite in terms of top 100 companies where, you know, there's more people playing professional football than there are C-suite leaders at at Fortune 1000 companies. Their job is to be, and I said this earlier, to be the most strategic. That's what, that's what Larry Lyson that, uh, you know, Steve Jobs, others, I mean, they were smart. I mean, they were, you know, they were smart in different ways, right? But, but they were more strategic than anything. They had people around them that were smarter, that knew how to get there. That to me is a... That is the most instrumental thing to me. And I love watching the authenticity, the humbleness of you're a leader, but you know, you have such an amazing team around you that got you and the company where it's at today. You can never overlook that fact. That's where the don't lead with ego comes into mind right now in this whole thing. Okay. And I know you're busy and I know you're calling in. Wait, where are you? Are you on the East Coast right now? I'm in South Dakota. No, I'm in South Dakota today at the at the home office in the studio yeah. here. Yeah. yeah, and I fine. I know you're running a crazy schedule, but I just was so happy to have you on to chat with you a little bit about leadership and everything. Podcasting, we're on the podcast. I know you guys are tremendous. Give me your top three biggest pieces of advice for up and coming new podcasters. Well, first of all, and to start your podcast with the end in mind. All right. So what is it you want to get out of your podcast? You should be using it to drive your business, not necessarily for followers and everything. So drive it to really drive your business. So in, use it to interview the people that you want to do business with is a great, great way to do it, especially for business podcasts. And don't worry about the, the second thing is don't worry about eyeballs and ears. Uh, worry about hearts and minds. So really focus in on the core message of everything you do. And then the third thing is you should affiliate. You should be part of a network. Don't be in podcast purgatory and be with a network like C-Suite Radio or find another one if you can that will take you. But, you know, be with other people like you. That's how other folks will find you. Okay, there's my endorsement of why everybody should be within C-Suite, because we've been there and we 
I've had a tremendous experience with you guys. So everybody yeah. should be on C-suite. So I'll be happy to be a endorsement for you on that side. Awesome. I do, I do love it though, because I always feel with our startup clients, always the first day you start your company, know where your exit is. Always have that goal in mind. You know, it's like I had the best conversation at one point with Mark Cuban. It's always like, follow the green, not the dream. And I'm like, <laughs> so. You know, yeah, you know one other, yeah, one other piece of advice I did on podcasts is plan to do it for a year. You know, 50% of most podcasts fail before their 10th episode. You know, the next 50% left of that never make it to the first year. So, so one of the biggest things I would tell you is that, you know, you will be in the top 10% if you just get past the first year, you know, that's a big thing. I mean, we're in season 10, 200th episodes. So we're in our, well, we're in our fourth, fifth year, but we've done two seasons. We've just been. That's awesome. I think I'm at, I think I'm at 700 episodes now. I think a weekly, we've been doing this weekly for a long time. Oh, and you're insane numbers. We just kind of maintain sustainability of one a week, but, um, you know, 200th episode, 10 seasons, five years. That's awesome. No, that's fantastic. Most people, as I said, they would fail before then. So, but if you can stick it out, you can stick it out. It pays, it pays off. I mean, think of how much business you've gotten from the podcast as a result of doing these interviews and me. And by the way, not just that, just the great conversations, great relationships that you make with the people that you have on the show or that other people listen. I mean, it's always amazing. You know, I I started my podcast with CBS and I was their core anchor for the business podcast. And they they had, you know, Jennifer Beale was the was the health and beauty. And then they uh, we had uh, Boomer Sison with sports. Carson Daly was a pop guy. And then I was the business guy. But what's always amazes me is that people who write to me reach out to me on social or call me or, you know, how are they or come up to me and say, Hey, you said this, or so-and-so said this, and it changed my life. It changed my business. It's changed the way I do things with my family. It's amazing. And, and, you know, and sometimes you don't even know it's the simplest, stupidest little thing that gets said. And it's just, it boom, it's a lightning rod for everybody else. So that's, so keep it up, keep doing it. It's been a pleasure to be with you tonight. And it's a pleasure to have you on C-Suite radio. We love you guys. We love what you're doing. So keep it up. I always love chatting with you. It's always good seeing you. My big thing that I love is that every conversation is I learned something new and have such relationship with the person on my show. It is amazing what we could do. But you are one of my favorite people. And I so, 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 so appreciate the time. So I know you really put some time into your schedule to make time for this. But um, Jeff, where can everybody find you? Um, like, Give me a quick about what this uh, is about and how can yeah. they get involved? C-Suite Network, go see us, c-suitenetwork.com. You can come and find us. It's uh, you know over 350,000 executives who have opted in, been a part of this network. You come, it's a trusted network where you can take your, your content, your IP, and use it to you know scale your business. That's what we do every single day. So you come in, we give you a C-Suite marketing platform so you can be able to market with a CRM system and all the other stuff that goes with it and unlimited funnels. And uh, it just is crazy. Come see us. Check it out. We'd love to do it. And then we help you with your podcast, your TV show, your book, whatever you got that you you, you want to help promote and push. Uh, we can help you with some programs. And you can find me at C-Suite Network. Look on social, Hazlet, H-A-Y-Z-L-E-T-T, Jeffrey. There's like five of us in the country, but you know, I'm the I'm the good looking one. 
He's the best one. It's so funny. That's so like, I cannot do shameless promotions on podcasts, but you of all people, I am so in awe of what you've built. Oh, uh, thank you. you well, we love it. it. So I always want you to talk about how much you build. It's so inspiring, but I know we've got around. This is Sarah Miller with Jeffrey Hazlett at C-Suite, and we'll see everybody next week. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Axis Effect podcast. If you don't want to miss an episode or download past episodes, be sure to subscribe to the Axis Effect podcast on your favorite podcast provider. To learn more about the podcast or our guests, please visit theaxiseffect.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.